0: If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) I am your host. Just your friendly neighborhood maniac on the loose. Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. The Craving. PART THREE OF THREE Chapter 20 Room Service Lou parks his truck and gets out. He is wearing black shoes, black pants, and a white button-down collared shirt. He is speaking confidently into a cell phone. Don't worry, I'll handle it. This is what I do. He assertively enters the hotel through a door clearly labeled Employee Entrance. Lou begins walking down a long corridor, bustling with a variety of hotel workers. The farther down the corridor he gets, the more it smells like a high school lunchroom. He passes the security office, an office cubicle for operators, the staff cafeteria, staff elevators, and finally enters a hotel kitchen area. Waiters, busboys, and hosts flow in and out of the area at regular intervals. He passes the kitchen area and stops to read a sign above a double-swinging door to his left. Room service. Lou backtracks slightly toward the kitchen area and stops one of the waiters. What's the name of the room service manager? Uh, you mean Mr. Newton? Lou does a nice job acting as though that sounds familiar to him. Yeah, that's it. Where is he? I don't think he comes in until tonight. That's right, thanks. Lou boldly walks back to the room service entrance and strolls in as if he's been there a thousand times before. There are a couple of young men in white and black uniforms preparing some trays. Carol, a woman in her 40s, sees Lou and approaches him. Can I help you? I'm looking for Mr. Newton. I'm supposed to upgrade your system. He points to the computer on a desk against the wall. He doesn't come in until tonight, Lou acts put out. Oh, damn it. I have a double workload day staring me in the face. I really don't have time to wait around, so if you don't mind, I'd like to just get started. She shrugs. Okay, if Mr. Newton shows up, I'll make sure he knows you're here. Wonderful. Lou walks to the desk and begins fidgeting with the computer. Carol takes a few charts off a nearby table and leaves the room. Lou carefully surveys the room. It's obvious that the workers nearby are focused on other things so his worries about red tape are minimal. Lou hits a few buttons on the keyboard and brings up a page listing room numbers waiting for their room service orders. Several at the top of the list which apparently have been completed have the word filled next to them. Lou scrolls under those and stops at room 237 which has PENDING, marked next to it. Lou gets up and approaches one of the young workers who is preparing a tray. His name tag says, Chad. Do you have room 237 yet? The worker doesn't even look up from his task at hand as he answers. Back there. I'm about to take it up. Special instructions. And what are these special instructions? The worker stops what he is doing and looks at Lou. Who are you? Lou pulls out his wallet, takes out a $20 bill, and holds it up. Andrew Jackson, what are the special instructions? Chad looks around, slightly nervous-like, to make sure no one is watching. When he determines the coast is clear, he snatches the 20 from Lou's hand. I'm supposed to lay the tray outside his door, knock, and leave. Lou takes a hundred dollar bill and holds it up. I lied. I'm Ben Franklin. I'll take it up for you. Chad looks around again and then quickly exchanges the tray for the hundred dollar bill. Not a word of this to anyone. Of course not, Mr. Franklin. Chad picks up another tray and leaves. Lou holds the tray in a formal manner, stands upright, and does his best room service attendant impersonation. On the second floor, he walks down the quiet corridor with the tray. He slows and finally stops when he reaches the room 237. He looks around. The corridor is empty. He sets the tray on the ground and stands up. He steps next to the door and presses his ear to it. He can hear the light, audible mumbling from a TV. As he steps back away from the door, he scans the area to make sure it is still clear and then pulls a medium-sized compact baton from his pocket. He snaps it down, elongating it by about two feet. He slowly, carefully leans over and quickly wraps his knuckles on the door. He then quickly presses himself against the wall as he holds the baton weapon in a striking position. The doorknob begins to jiggle slightly and Lu's breathing accelerates. The door opens very slowly, but the tray remains still on the ground. Lou holds his breath so as not to be heard and is beginning to bead with sweat as the unusual amount of time between the door opening and the tray being picked up is messing with his nerves. Lou looks down alertly when he sees a hand reach out for the tray. Lou springs from the wall to the front of the door where he sees Jack Winters kneeling as he pulls his food tray into the room. Before Jack can react, Lou brings the baton down onto the back of Jack's head, immediately knocking him to the floor, unconscious. Chapter 21 I Don't Want to Die Becky gazes out the hotel window at the majestic glow of the Nashville skyline. The array of city lights flicker in the night like a flowing sequin dress. She looks down at the warm headlights twisting their way through the steady traffic. It seems odd that she feels so alone in a city overflowing with life. Where are the others? Why aren't they here yet? Oscar specifically said that they should all meet here in one hour. She looks at the clock on the desk to confirm that it has been much longer than that. Deep down, she hopes that somehow she misunderstood the name of the hotel, but she knows that's not the case. Where is Paul? She turns and looks at the hotel phone for about the hundredth time. Her instinct is to try to call Paul, but if anything that Oscar said was true, that could be a death warrant for all of them. What if I'm the only one who made it? She pushes that thought from her mind and begins to pace, but is abruptly interrupted by a knock at the door. She whispers to herself, Paul! Her heart swells with hopefulness as she sprints to the hotel door and opens it. Morgan stands in the doorway and looks at her with a sincere sadness in his eyes.
1: I don't want to die. Chapter
0: 22 The Perfect Specimen Lou groans as he sets the unconscious Jack Winters on a surgical table. Man, this guy is solid. He ties his ankles and wrists with leather straps that are attached to the stainless steel slab. Dr. Howell walks into the murky operating room wearing a green surgical robe and mask which is untied and hanging around his neck. He holds his latex-gloved hands out in front of himself as he walks. Dr. Howell stops, looks down at Jack, and smiles. He begins rubbing his hand over Jack's head. The absolute perfect specimen. He briefly looks up at Lou. Leave us, please. Lou walks out of the room and sits in front of the large glowing screens in the main room of the building. He lights a cigarette as his cell phone rings. Yeah? No, don't do anything unless I tell you to. Just wait there and watch that room. Chapter 23 Fault Becky has the hotel phone to her ear as Morgan stares out the window onto the city. Okay, and nobody has called? Thanks. She hangs up the phone. Still no word. Becky sits down on the bed and drops her head into her hands. I should have never gotten Paul involved in this. This is my fault.
1: No. Don't blame yourself for anything. This is entirely my fault. He turns to her. I should have left on my own. I shouldn't have allowed either of you to get involved further. It's just... When that craving was overcoming me, I wasn't thinking of anything else. Of anyone else. The way my mind was working, it was as if I were being controlled like a machine. I feel guilty. I have to do something to make this right.
0: No, Morgan. You didn't sign up for this. You were kidnapped and experimented on. You don't have to feel guilty. Becky looks at the hotel phone. Morgan can see that she is worried for Paul. He sits next to her.
1: Paul seems like a good man.
0: A tear runs down her face. I, I should have listened to him. If anything happened to him, I, I don't think I'll be able to live with myself.
1: Morgan consoles her. Let's not think that way. If he doesn't show up soon, we'll find him.
0: Chapter 24. He's Ready Lou looks a bit uneasy as he takes a drag off his cigarette. He turns his head toward a moaning sound coming from behind a large, metal door in the distance. His gaze is broken by the voice of Dr. Howell coming from the other side of the room. He's ready. Lou turns back to see Dr. Howell walking out of the operating room, pulling off latex gloves. Lou rises slowly and Dr. Howell hands Lou a large, sturdy kitchen knife. Set this next to him after you have him placed. Lou accepts the knife, but hesitates as he ponders something. "'Did you hear me?' "'This is risky.' "'You shouldn't be concerned.' "'I get paid to be concerned. Let me take this girl out. Find another target. There are too many ramifications if this doesn't work.' "'I have faith in this project. And I have faith in you if something unforeseen occurs.' He pats Lou on the back. Go now. Time is of the essence. Chapter 25 Bodyguard Becky opens her eyes and takes in a breath... She remembers propping some pillows between her and the headboard, but doesn't remember dozing off. She looks up and sees Morgan standing next to the bed at attention. He's protecting her. She sits up and stretches. You watching
1: over me? I can't let anything happen to you. Or Paul. I've been thinking. I'd like to find him so I can protect you both.
0: Our bodyguard?
1: Becky thinks for a moment.
0: You won't be much good to us if you're dead. Morgan looks at her, distressed. His fate has clearly been on his mind. There has to be something we can do about that.
1: I'm not doing anything until I know you're safe.
0: It seems like I'm safe, Morgan. The fact that we're still standing here talking means that these people who are after us either have no idea where we are, or they're waiting. Morgan's brow crinkles.
1: What would they be waiting for?
0: Chapter 26 Placement Inside a darkened hotel room, the blue suit and brown suit sit at a table watching a variety of monitors. One of the monitors features the hotel room door of Becky and Morgan. Other monitors show the Griffith Hotel corridors, entrances, and exits. A beep sounds, and the blue suit takes out a small walkie-talkie device. Lou's voice comes through the other end. I'm here. I'm gonna need some help. On one of the monitors, they can see Lou coming into the hotel through a side door with Jack Winters. Jack is still unconscious. Lou has Jack's arm around his neck and is dragging him along as if he's drunk and passed out. The blue suit rushes out of the room, down the stairwell, and into the corridor where Lou is carrying Jack. Hurry up and help me. This psycho is pure muscle. He weighs a ton. Blue suit quickly assists Lou and they disappear into the stairwell. After lugging him up several flights of stairs and reaching the desired floor, Lou and Blue Suit lay Jack Winters down on the cold tile of a large linen room. Lou removes the large kitchen knife and places it on Jack's chest. Come on. They step out into the corridor. How long until he wakes up? Ah, soon. And we need to be out of sight. There's no telling how crazed this maniac will be. Lou looks back at the stairwell door, which is directly across the hall. There. They both quickly duck into the stairwell. Chapter 27 Where Do I Start? Remember what Oscar said earlier? If anyone can remove the chip without killing you, it's Dr. Howell. Maybe you should go to him. This might be your best chance. Morgan looks out the window at the skyline and considers this.
1: I suppose I have nothing to lose.
0: Becky stands and approaches Morgan. She puts her hand on his shoulder.
1: Who knows? Maybe I can get him to leave you and Paul out of this. Or I can kill him. What do I do? Where do I start?
0: Oscar said that when he went to the police station, somebody there knew who he was. It might be just as easy as you walking in there and saying that you want to see Dr. Howell.
1: And you'll stay here?
0: For a while. I'm going to wait for Paul. If you're going to do this, you'd better go. You don't have much time. Morgan looks into Becky's kind eyes and speaks honestly. I
1: am so sorry.
0: Forgive me. He turns and leaves the room. Chapter 28 Melee Jack Winters opens his eyes. He is repulsed by the thick scent of detergent. He rises up and looks around at his strange surroundings, shelves full of linens and carts overflowing with towels. He rubs his eyes and feels something cold against his chest. He reaches for it. The moment he realizes that it is a knife, he grasps it firmly. Suddenly, Jack winces and grips at his stomach. His body is burning from within. He lets out several sharp groans of pain and grits his teeth. He struggles with the pain for a moment, and then seems to suck it up as something flashes within his mind, alerting him as to what he can do to seize the pain. He opens his bloodshot black eyes, revealing pure rage. Lou and the blue suit stand in the stairwell and hold the door open just enough to eye the linen room. In theory, he should go straight for their hotel room. In theory? Lou shrugs. Yeah, a lot could go wrong. This is not the best idea. A beep comes from Lou's jacket. He takes out his walkie-talkie. The brown suit surprises Lou with his information. Morgan just left the room. Alone? Yes. Follow him. Lou turns to the blue suit. Go keep an eye on the room in case Becky leaves too. The blue suit steps out of the stairwell into the corridor at the very moment that the linen room door bursts open. A psychotic, enraged Jack Winters barrels out and immediately slams into the blue suit. Jack begins savagely stabbing him over and over. Blue suit manages to reach his gun and squeeze the trigger, but by this time he is on his back and his shot is nowhere near its target. Jack brings the knife down into him again and again. Morgan is in the stairwell on the other side of the corridor, starting downstairs when he hears the sound of gunfire. He looks up at the direction it came from. Becky. Morgan turns and starts back up the stairs. The brown suit, who was well down the other end of the corridor in his pursuit of Morgan, has turned around to see Jack Winter's impaling blue suit. He pulls out his gun and starts down the corridor toward the melee. Becky, assuming the gunfire was related to Morgan, exits her hotel room and steps directly in front of Brownsuit. Brownsuit, unsure of what to do in the midst of the current ruckus, points his gun at Becky and is just about to pull the trigger when Morgan slams into him from behind, causing him to drop the gun. Morgan and Brownsuit wrestle on the floor as several people run out of their rooms screaming as they dash for the exit. Morgan looks up and sees Becky frozen in terror. Run, Becky!
1: Get out of here!
0: Becky turns and runs the other way. She doesn't even notice Jack Winters, who is still stabbing Blue Suit, until it is too late. Jack spots Becky, hurls himself at her, grabs her by the throat, and smashes her against the wall. Morgan sees this as he wrestles with Brown Suit. Morgan gets the upper hand in the tussle, puts his hands on each side of Brown Suit's face, and quickly snaps his neck, rendering him lifeless. Morgan immediately stands and races toward Jack Winters. Jack brings his face closer to Becky and snarls as he viciously and quickly begins to drive the knife into Becky's abdomen. Her eyes widen in shock as she is stabbed over and over again. Morgan collides with Jack Winters, knocking him to the ground onto his stomach. The knife falls away from Jack, and before Jack can get his bearings, Morgan jumps on him and wraps his arm around Jack's throat in a chokehold. Jack struggles and pulls at Morgan's arms, but Morgan has all the leverage. Jack scowls as his eyes roll back into his head, and his body begins to convulse. Morgan continues to choke Jack Winters with all of his might until Jack's body goes limp. Morgan drops Jack and runs back to Becky. He bends down and pulls her up toward him. She is limp. Her eyes are closed. Morgan holds her head in his hands and shakes her gently, hoping she will awaken.
1: Becky. Becky, no. No.
0: From behind Morgan and Becky, Lou exits the stairwell into the corridor. His gun is drawn. He approaches slowly from behind as Morgan searches fruitlessly for some sign of life from Becky. When Lou is about a yard away from Morgan, he cocks the hammer back on his gun. Two police officers rush through the stairwell, guns drawn and aimed at Lou. Drop the gun! Lou does not hesitate. He spins and fires, hitting police officer number one in the chest, sending him flying back. Police Officer number 2 fires, winging Lou in the shoulder and dropping him to the floor. On his way down, Lou squeezes off another shot, hitting Police Officer number 2 in the face, killing him instantly. Lou, clutching at his wounded shoulder with his non-gun holding hand, attempts to rise but is met by Morgan, who steps on Lou's wrist, holding the gun down. Morgan grabs Lou by the shirt, pulls him up slightly off the ground, and punches him in the face. Lou is groggy and tries his best to stay conscious, but fails. Chapter 29 Escape The first thing Lou notices when he awakens is the odor of urine, masked by a bouquet of bleach. He blinks his eyes a few times as he fully regains consciousness. He is sitting on a toilet, fully clothed. His head is propped back, leaning against a wall. Suddenly, he rises up, trying to take in his unusual surroundings. As the memory of current events push into his brain, he grimaces at the pain coming from his upper shoulder. He clutches at his gunshot wound and grits his teeth in pain. Lou carefully removes his bloody coat. His white shirt underneath is soaked with crimson. Lou reaches for his gun, only to find himself reaching into an empty holster. Shit. Lou gingerly stands and very calmly unlatches the stall door. He opens it just a crack and looks out. The public restroom appears to be empty, so he feels comfortable swinging the door open and stepping out. Lou looks around to see if he recognizes anything and notices a few signs indicating that he is still in the Griffith Hotel. He eyes himself in the mirror and sees what an ungodly mess he is. Oh, wow. Lou delicately removes his white shirt and pulls a wad of paper towels from the dispenser. He begins to wipe the blood off his body and pays particular attention to the wound. He inspects it as he wipes it. It appears to be more of a slash-type wound from a graze than a normal bullet wound. After wiping off most of the blood, he wads up several paper towels and applies direct pressure to the gash as he walks to the entrance of the bathroom. He opens the door just a touch and peeks out. There are a few police officers running through the lobby, escorted by hotel security. First responders. In a matter of minutes, this place will be a madhouse and nobody will be able to leave without being questioned. Lou shuts the door to the bathroom and begins to scheme, knowing he must leave fast. And inconspicuously. Shirtless and covered in blood doesn't fit that category. Shit. He looks around the room for an alternative exit, but the bathroom is without doors or windows. Damn it. He thinks and then once again opens the bathroom door a crack and peeks out. After a moment, a husky worker in a white shirt and black coat slowly walks past the bathroom door while looking back over his shoulder at the growing buzz of people in the lobby. Lou tries to get his attention. Psst. The worker looks around. Psst. The worker looks at Lou. Come here. The worker is reluctant at first, and even looks back over his shoulder at a few of the policemen who have entered the lobby. No, no, it's okay. Lou holds out a $100 bill through the crack of the door. It's yours. I just need a shirt. The worker looks back at the police again and then enters the bathroom. Give me the money. Lou hands him the $100 bill, and the worker removes his jacket and white dress shirt, leaving only his white t-shirt on. Are you the guy they're after? No. The worker gives Lou a suspicious look. I'm not. Lou hesitates a moment and then removes another $100 bill from his wallet and hands it to the worker. Don't worry about it. Lou puts the dark jacket over the white shirt, which is already beginning to absorb the blood from his wound. He takes a breath and then confidently exits the bathroom. He assuredly strolls through the lobby as if he belongs. He walks past the police officers and EMT workers, none of which give him a second glance. He simply looks like just another employee. He walks past the front desk, past some bellhops speaking to police officers, and rather casually exits the hotel. Lou winces and occasionally rubs at his shoulder as he walks through the parking lot to his vehicle. He unlocks the truck door and takes one quick look around at the onslaught of police and medical vehicles flowing into the parking lot before getting into the pickup truck and driving away. Morgan sits in the lobby appearing to read a newspaper, but in reality, he's watching the men's room door waiting for Lou to emerge. He gazes around. He is becoming increasingly concerned over the escalation of activity in the lobby, Lou should wake up soon. He was moaning slightly when Morgan stashed him in the men's room stall. Morgan's body becomes alert as he sees the restroom door open slightly. He observes the clothing transaction with one of the hotel workers and holds the newspaper up high as cover when Lou walks right by him and exits into the parking lot. Morgan rises and nonchalantly exits out the front of the hotel. He takes minor cover by some trees at the edge of the parking lot as he observes Lou enter his vehicle and drive off. Morgan immediately darts from the trees to a nearby car driving slowly in search of a parking spot. He steps in front of it, causing the driver to screech to a halt. Hey, what the hell, man? Morgan opens the car door, pulls the driver from the car, gets in, and begins to follow Lou's truck. Chapter 30. The Room Lou is on his cell phone as he speeds down the road. It was a disaster, but the girl is dead. No, Morgan escaped. He left the hotel room, but then came back. He must have heard the gunshot and rushed back to help. I don't see what's so damn fascinating about it. I almost got killed. As he's talking, Lou turns down a long, dark, winding gravel side road. His mind is still scattered from the happening at the hotel. Normally, he would have spotted the vehicle following him, even though its headlights were turned off. I'll be there in a few minutes. He hangs up his phone, and within minutes, Lou's headlights reveal a cold, concrete structure in front of him. He pulls his truck up next to it and parks. He exits the vehicle and takes a few steps toward the building but then stops and turns when he hears the crunching of gravel and a sudden rev of an engine. The lights of Morgan's car blast on as they speed toward Lou. Lou simultaneously shields his eyes from the glare and instinctively reaches for his gun, but once again he only feels the empty holster. He looks up at the oncoming vehicle just as it reaches him. Shit. The car smashes into Lou, pinning him against the concrete wall of the building and crushing him instantly. Morgan gets out of the car and scampers to the entrance of the building. The door is locked. He sees a green, backlit security code box next to the door. He doesn't have time to consider how to break in before he hears a loud buzz and the intense mechanical clang of the deadbolt unlocking. Morgan furrows his brow.
1: Why are they letting me in?
0: Perhaps it's a trap, but at this point it doesn't matter. He's running out of time. He thrusts the door open and charges into the building. He looks down at the large monitors below him. On the screen is a security camera focused on the now deceased Lou, blood pouring out of his mouth. Next to the screen is a large monitor with a digital clock reading 15 minutes and 7 seconds and counting down. Dr. Howell steps into the room and looks up at Morgan, and then at the monitor displaying Lou's body. He speaks calmly. It's a shame about Lou. He was good at his job.
1: Dr. Howell. Morgan. I found you.
0: Of course. That's what you were made
1: for. This is not what I was made for.
0: Quite the contrary. You have the potential to be one of the most productive assassins we've ever had." Morgan says nothing. He slowly begins to descend the stairway, keeping his cold stare fixed on Dr. Howell as the doctor speaks. The key word is potential. It's difficult for me to admit that this wasn't the assignment for you. I was too confident in your abilities, but this is how one learns.
1: I'm not. An assassin. I'm not a killer.
0: Dr. Howell smiles. Even at the end, you still believe that, don't you? Dr. Howell holds a pleased expression. Remarkable. He looks up at the winding down digital clock. I'm glad we get to spend your final moments together. Morgan reaches the ground floor and begins walking across the room toward Dr. Howell.
1: I want this out of my head.
0: Dr. Howell does not respond. He simply smiles and stands his ground.
1: Do you hear me? Take this out of my head.
0: Dr. Howell's smile grows larger as Morgan reaches him. Do it. Dr. Howell continues to smile with glee. Do it now. Dr. Howell finally speaks while continuing to hold his smile. "'Or what, Morgan? Or you'll kill me?' Morgan lunges at Dr. Howell and wraps his massive hands around the doctor's throat. Morgan's face beads with sweat and his eyes grow wide as he constricts his hands tighter. Morgan grits his teeth as he applies every ounce of pressure he can muster. Dr. Howell begins to turn dark red. His eyes open in shock, but he still manages to smile as he gasps out his final words. You are a a killer. Finally, the smirk is removed from Dr. Howell as his face takes on a mild shade of blue and he goes into a violent twitch of death before finally sagging like a rag doll under Morgan's grip. Morgan lets him go and the doctor's body drops heavily to the floor. Morgan collapses into a nearby chair. He wipes the sweat from his forehead and looks up at the clock as it continues to wind down. No. Please, no. Defeated, he buries his head into his hands and begins to gently weep, but is distracted by a loud, metallic rattle in the distance. And another rattle. And another. Morgan scans the area, curiously, before standing and walking toward the sound. He stops at the entrance of an operating room and peers in. To the left are two surgical tables with various medical equipment surrounding them. Both tables have leather straps in the area of would-be wrists and ankles. A rustling noise causes him to turn his head and venture deeper within the dwelling. Ahead, he notices an ancient, heavy, metal, industrial door. The door has a single opening in the center, which is lined with iron bars. He hears a clanking sound coming from behind the door. Morgan approaches it cautiously. When he reaches it, he looks through the opening, but it is too dark to make anything out. He tries to open it, but it is locked. He turns, looks around, and heads back into the main portion of the building. Dr. Howell lies dead where Morgan left him. He goes through Dr. Howell's pockets and pulls out a large set of keys. Morgan looks up at the clock, counting down the minutes he has left to his life, but does a double-take when he notices something odd on the surveillance screen. Lou's body is now gone. Morgan looks around the room quickly, concerned that Lou may be in there but all appears to be quiet. Morgan swiftly makes his way back to the metal door. After trying a few keys, the lock clicks and the key turns. Morgan pulls the door open and steps into a long, prison-like holding area The center corridor is dark, lit by only a few small lights above. Both sides of the corridor are lined with cells. Morgan steps in deeper and looks to his left. The cell is dark. There appears to be movement in the back, but it is too dark for him to see what it is. Morgan jumps back in shock when Jack Winters propels himself toward the cell bars. Jack is restrained before he can reach the bars by a thick chain fastened to a heavy-duty iron collar bolted around his neck. He lets out a series of animalistic growls and gnashes his teeth at Morgan like a wild beast. The veins in his neck protrude as he continues to test the strength of the restraint and snaps his teeth multiple times at Morgan. Morgan stumbles backward against the cell on the other side, staring at the crazed Jack Winters who continues to pull at his chains. Morgan is startled from a loud clanking sound and spins to look into the cell behind him. A shudder runs down Morgan's spine as he realizes that he is staring at himself. In the cell, Morgan is strapped down on a gurney. The shackles around his wrists and ankles clang loudly as he tries to pull up from the bed. Morgan in the bed stares at Morgan in the corridor and attempts to speak, but the would-be words come out as forced moans. Morgan steps back and shakes his head. No! He walks down the corridor deeper into the holding area, still eyeing his double, before stopping and looking into the next holding cell. Again, another Morgan is in the cell. This one is tied to a hospital-type bed that is held in an upright position. He looks as confused as Morgan does, and this one speaks. The words come out slow and garbled, but he can make it out. Me... it is me. A rattle behind Morgan causes him to spin and look into the next cell on the left. Another Jack Winter stands in the middle of the cell, shackled at the ankles, staring coldly at Morgan. He too has distorted speech, but Morgan can understand him. I will slice you up like a whore. No, Morgan quickly runs down the corridor. Each new cell he passes has a different Morgan on the right side and a different Jack Winters on the left side. No! Morgan runs further down the corridor. The sounds of chains and restraints begin to echo from the different cells as he runs by them. Morgan stops at the final cells. He looks to his right and sees himself on a bed. There appear to be no straps as Morgan sleeps soundly. A deep, sadistic giggle startles Morgan, causing him to turn and peer into the final cell on his left. (laughs) Jack Winters stands in the cell, his head slightly tilted down, but his eyes stare up at Morgan. He grins and sings very slowly, Jimmy Crack Corn and I don't care. Jimmy crack corn and I don't care Jimmy crack corn and I don't care my master's gone away jack in the cell begins to cackle instantly creating goosebumps on morgan's arms <laughs> morgan sprints down the last part of the corridor he stops when it ends at an elevator A very modern elevator, which seems out of place in the damp dungeon-like holding area. Morgan eyes the elevator call button, which indicates down only. He presses it. The mechanics of the activated elevator echo through the cell block and then stop as the doors open. He warily enters and the elevator doors shut. Morgan looks around the stainless steel interior of the elevator. There are no floor buttons for him to choose or a floor indicator panel above the doors. Morgan jumps slightly as the elevator begins a descent and after a moment, stops. The doors open to a bright floor and he can hear very light soothing music. Morgan steps off the elevator. Morgan stops and stares at the new floor he is on. He is in a corridor again, but this corridor is wide. The floor is white and bright. Instead of holding cells on either side of the corridor, there are a medley of offices with glass doors and walls. The floor is busy. Various workers, most in casual business outfits, are active throughout the corridor, entering and exiting multiple rooms. Morgan inquisitively walks down the corridor looking around at his surroundings as he moves forward. The workers either don't notice him or don't care. They just go about their business. He turns and looks at each room as he passes. There are a variety of rooms. Some appear to be offices. Some are exam rooms, surgical rooms, and computer labs. At the end of the corridor is a large glass door. He can see the room behind it. There is a gurney in the room. Lou is lying on the gurney. Several medical personnel are working on him in a casual way. There is no sense of urgency. Lou appears lifeless, but the workers aren't trying to revive him, but instead appear to be drawing blood from him. As Morgan gets closer, the walls on each side of him become concrete for about 10 feet and then become glass again. The glass areas on both sides are much larger than the previous rooms he passed. They both have the appearance of studio apartments with kitchen areas, bed, couch, television, and other pleasantries. Morgan looks to his left. Jack Winters sits in a chair watching a news channel on a large screen television. They are reporting on his demise. He is very calm as he watches. He glances at Morgan for a moment and then nonchalantly goes back to watching the television. He picks up the television remote and flips the channel to an episode of Three's Company. He puts his hand behind his head for support and kicks back very relaxed as he whistles Jimmy Corn." Morgan hears a familiar voice that comes from his right side. What the hell? Morgan turns to see himself standing behind the glass in an apartment room. Morgan, behind the glass, is dressed in a comfortable, terry cloth robe-like outfit. He speaks to someone behind Morgan.
1: What the hell is he doing here?
0: You can't win, Morgan. Morgan, standing in the corridor, spins around. Dr. Howell stands before him. Most of the workers that Morgan had passed on his way down the corridor have now stopped and are watching on. Two large, identical security guards stand on each side of Dr. Howell. But I killed you. Yes, you did. That was impressive. But what you killed was a clone. A clone? Yes, Morgan. I'm the original Dr. Howell. Morgan steps back and begins to be overwhelmed as he takes it all in. Dr. Howell motions to Jack Winters, who is very much enjoying the Three's Company episode. That's the original Jack Winters. Morgan turns and faces his double, which is staring at him through the glass. His double holds an empathetic expression. And that is the original Morgan. Morgan turns from his double behind the glass and faces Dr. Howell again. He's confused.
1: I'm Morgan.
0: He points to his double behind the glass. That's the clone. Dr. Howell moves in closer. You are a clone. No. I I can't be. I'm afraid it's true. No. We breed assassins here, and that is what you are. An early form Morgan clone, assassin class number 33. You still need some tweaking, but are coming along nicely. As a matter of fact, what we've learned during this early portion of Morgan clone testing is that the Morgan clones will be much better suited for protection, whereas the Jack Winters clones will be more appropriate for assault. Of course, as you've witnessed firsthand, Jack's clones need some work. They are currently far too aggressive. Dr. Howell smiles. Lou informed me of your attempt to rescue Becky. So heroic. I'm proud of you. Morgan's gaze turns downward as he reflects. Becky. Innocent bystander casualties are unfortunate, but sometimes unavoidable. Morgan begins shaking his head
1: and becoming hysterical. No, no, this isn't true. I am Morgan. I'm the real Morgan. I'm nothing like those things up there. They weren't right. There was something wrong with them. You
0: witnessed several clones at varying stages of development. All clones go through each stage. You were like that too, in the beginning. I must say, I'm not happy about you killing Lou. Unfortunately, he was not a clone. I believe we've retrieved his blood in time to create at least one good clone from him. I can only hope he's half the employee of the original Lou. Morgan turns and looks at Lou's body on the gurney. All of the assistants working on him have turned to look at Morgan. They are all. Dr. Howell clones. Morgan turns back to Dr. Howell. I'm not a clone. I'm the original. I so do hate to see you distraught. The original Morgan behind the glass appears upset by the clone's confusion. He speaks to Dr.
1: Howell. Damn it, Howell. You know I don't like to see them like this.
0: Don't worry, Morgan. It's almost over. Dr. Howell looks at his watch and then back up at Morgan standing in the corridor. Morgan, from behind the glass, holds his hand flat against the glass wall and speaks to his clone genuinely.
1: I'm sorry. It's an ugly world. You wouldn't be happy here. Be brave, my friend. It will be over fast. Morgan in the corridor can
0: now hear the digital sound of ticking echoing through his head, and it gets louder with each tick. He begins looking around, frightened at first, but then freezes and feels comforted by the soothing stare of the original Morgan from behind the glass. The original Morgan gives him an encouraging smile, the ticking grows louder, and the Morgan clone smiles back at his double and gives him a nod. Taking the original Morgan's advice to be brave, he closes his eyes and holds a smile as the ticking grows louder and louder and then abruptly stops. Morgan is engulfed in a blanket of peacefulness as his world goes silent and bright. The End We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. (laughs) Be sure to visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for the free newsletter and receive a free book and movie. We'll see you soon. Very soon.